Hello, lovely people. How are you? And welcome to the last episode in this series. But hold on tight because I hope you're ready to meet someone I've been wanting to interview for such a long time now. Someone who is everything I personally think a journalist should be. Let me introduce you to the wonderful Christine Talbot. I started to feel I've done this now and that I want, I don't, I can either stay here and carry on doing what I'm doing. So I just drop off my perch and they start saying, oh God, is she still there? You know, or I can leave while I'm still enjoying everything I do and just see what else is out there, but have freedom. Christine always loved books as a child, but she had no idea then. This love for storytelling would take her on to be one of Yorkshire's most loved journalists and presenters. Christine has worked in newspapers for the BBC and ITV. She's presented lifestyle shows, was a pioneer presenter on one of the first health and lifestyle digital channels. And for 20 years, she sat next to the also brilliant Duncan Wood most nights for ITV's calendar programme. She's covered some of Yorkshire's biggest stories like the Hillsborough Inquiry, She's interviewed prime ministers and she was the first person to interview Gareth Gates. And now Christine is starting her own next chapter. I'll let her tell you all about it, but it's exciting, brave and well, just brilliant, just as you might expect. We also discuss what it was like for Christine when she had to share her own story following a diagnosis and how by doing this, she's helped others. Christine is full of warmth and empathy at a time when I think it's fair to say the media isn't always regarded in the most positive of lights. Christine, I believe, is one of the best journalists we have. She's soft, kind, brave, tough and strong. She loves people and is never afraid to ask the right questions. That's why it's such an honour to be able to ask her some questions now and share her story with you. Hello and welcome to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to author, I speak with some incredible people who've already started their next chapters in the hope it might help you with your next chapter, or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here she is, Christine Talbot. Christine Talbot, well... I cannot put it into words. I'm so delighted to see you and finally meet you at last. Welcome to the next chapter with Ellie Barker. Well, thank you for having me, Ellie. I'm just very flattered that you would like me to take part. And it's lovely to meet you too, because I've seen you on screen in our jobs as as ITV journalists over the years. And I always thought you were such a lovely person. And I've once met your husband so it's very nice to speak to you uh well the feeling is mutual and i've admired you for a long time so look let's just i'm going to just start at the beginning as we always do with the prologue now you grew up in lancashire i understand and as i understand you were quite you were quite a quiet child quite you liked your books you liked your reading and you liked your writing i did i was i was quite a shy little girl really in fact my mum would say in of all the children that she came across, I would be the last person who ended up doing the job that I do. Um, very bookish, um, obsessed by words, really, even as a child. And uh, really, I think at that time, writing would have been my dream. I really wanted to um, love the written word, wrote stories all the time, read, gosh, so many books. Uh, my, my sister was the one who was the tomboy who'd be out playing and getting her knees cut all the time and having accidents and things. And I'd be, you know, boring me sitting in a corner reading Little Women or something. I was that kind of child. And um, but I think that, you know, that probably was the start of, of my 
what I wanted to do in the end, which was to tell stories, even if it wasn't actually writing them in that way. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. And you really did, because this, this right, you used to make little newspapers and then you asked your sister, she was like yeah. a living reporter. <laughs> I did. I was, I, we used to have the Talbot News, which uh, was done in the airing. The office was the airing cupboard at mum and dad's um, little house. And uh, I was, I was the editor and I'd send her and, and maybe if her friends were around as well, they'd have to go out and find a story, write down, you know, and it used to be really boring things like, you know, what we're having for tea that night or dad's mowing the lawn today and I'm watching dad. It really was the worst. But we'd, we'd write them, you know, with crayon, cut them out, and I'd make a little newspaper and draw pictures to illustrate it so so i think it was always my dream was always to 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 do that sort of thing but no i i i was i did my poor sister had a real nightmare with me because i was always i mean i wasn't that much older than her um there's actually only not even 18 months between us so and we were very different in personalities and um she used to get bossed about by me you know with my i want to do this or the my other great passion at that age was ballet and I went to ballet class and was obsessed by Rudolf Nureyev and Margot Fontaine and all the dancers of that era. And um, I then also made her dance with me around the living room every day. Made her, because she actually, bizarrely, my sister and I, although she was the younger one, she was always taller than me and still is much taller than me to this day. She has completely different genes. And I used to make her stand there and I would take a running jump into her arms I'm doing, you can see me doing this now i'm sort of remembering it like a ballerina and she had to spin me around <laughs> so poor helen my sister had a terrible time being my little sister but uh, but in the end um you know everything worked out in the end and, it, and it's it's actually just reminding me of something now because recently i um came across some old little cassette tapes and uh, i knew that there was something from my childhood and i remember for my seventh Christmas, being given a, a really old-fashioned proper cassette tape, one that you pressed, you know, forward and back, and recording everybody and all the family on it. And I thought, I've nothing to play that on anymore. So I took them to a place near us where they could transfer them onto a memory stick. And it is hilarious. Um, I'm going around, obviously, my first incarnation as a, as a TV journalist, but this time radio, interviewing the whole family about um, what are they up to, tell, tell me what you're doing, this, that and the other. And then there's another little bit where I've got a load of girl, little girlfriends and we're all, I'm interviewing them about what they want to be when they grow up and I do what I want to be. And I, even though I was doing this and obviously loved this kind of world, I wanted to be a librarian. <laughs> <laughs> That was my dream job, and uh, simply because I wanted to stamp the books, yeah. I thought that would be great you know, with the old-fashioned ink stamps. Yeah. So, um, but it's quite nice to look back, and the more I look back, and I think, well, although I was quite bookish and shy, and probably not destined for a public life career at that stage, there was obviously something in me back then that uh, made me want to do. The job that I know too. Yeah, especially working out the airing cupboard. I love that. And actually, Christine, some of those stories you said there. I mean, we've done worse on the local news. I mean, you did some. You've, got, <laughs> you've done some good ones. Oh some yeah, good ones. I think. But that's. I relate definitely to that. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So, so there you go. And I mean, your sister. She didn't turn out to be a ballerina. 
she was not a ballerina, no. She actually went into nursing and right. ended up being a district nurse. Oh, uh, yeah, so she, she went in a completely different direction. I think I put her off for life, to be honest. Well, obviously she was looking after you and that, that then took her to her nursing, but that's, that's another next chapter. <laughs> that's another next chapter. So... So then, so you carried on, but actually, as I understand it, you actually, your dad was a deputy head teacher. And although you you loved this, the idea of journalism, maybe publishing, you actually, did you actually get a job teaching sixth form um, English? I, I actually, no, I got accepted onto a course um, to become a sixth form teacher. I did English uh, lit and um, for my uni degree. And then, um, wasn't really you know sure at that stage even though journalism and books and I knew it had to be I knew I wanted to do something to do with books reading um writing so publishing journalism uh journalism to be honest when I was about 18 I, I don't think I thought I think I may just thought well, but I wouldn't get there because I, I remember once talking to a careers teacher and I see this story so often now with other people and they say oh no that's not for girls like you I was just I was at a comprehensive school in Wigan and um not really we, you didn't have many people to be honest although Kay Burley definitely broke the mold and she was a great inspiration but you didn't have many people coming from my kind of background that you saw you know getting into into the tv world um and I'll tell you about Kay because Kay Kay's a bit a little bit older than me but also came from Wigan and went to a local comprehensive school and she's amazing you know what she's done with her life but um my my mum and her mum knew each other vaguely and uh so watching Kay's career I I was always very that's she also very much inspired me at that stage but yes when I was at uni I was just going along with thinking well books reading English I love English late I still still have my book obsession I'll maybe become an English teacher and I got accepted onto um, Edge Hill College um, up near Liverpool to to do postgrad and teach at sixth form 18 16 to 18 year olds but one of my college who I was with uh, desperately wanted to be a journalist her name was Debbie Manley and Debbie um, got two forms for the course that she was applying to at Preston which is now known as UCLan back then it was good old Preston Polly to do a postgrad and we, she said oh do you want one of my forms they've sent me two so I thought well, yeah actually I'll, I'll give it a go and I'll not get on but I got on I got on the course and talking to dad, who was a deputy head, and um, go, a lot, as, as with all professions, a lot of things going on with the world of teaching at the time. And he said to me, you know, Christine, he said, he said the teachings were okay, um, and it's great. And my mum was going, oh, it's great holidays when you've got children and this, that, and the other, which was my mum's priority. But dad kind of always thought that there was more to life than maybe what I was going down that route and, and he very much encouraged me to go with the journalism option and said I would go with the journalism and so I did and and never looked back and I'm so grateful that he did push me in that direction and sadly I never got the holidays that, <laughs> that my mum wanted me to have which which caused many problems in later years but wasn't really a priority when I was 18 so oh, yeah. I, I, I'm so glad that I did make choose that path. Yeah, and look where it's taken you, which we will go on to talk about. But isn't that amazing? Just like your friend Debbie, you know, these things that just happen, and that's just taken you. This just that's just a tiny little thing that happened, and it's just taking you down a whole different path.
a whole different world. Yeah, and Debbie did go on to become a journalist as well, and she went into radio. I think she was working, uh, we lost touch over the years, and if she's listening to this, then hi, Debbie, because it <laughs> gave me that form that, that did change my life, which did make, start my next chapter, literally. Yeah. And, um, and and I'm, I'm so grateful I did. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Debbie. And so, so you so you went to Preston, which is where that's that was like the journalism course, which was always a very good journalism. I did. Course. Well, then at, back then um, there were two courses. There was the broadcast course and there was the print course. And I'd actually got the form that we had got was for the print course. So, and to be honest, it never even occurred to me to try for the broadcast course. I think I just thought I probably wouldn't get on it. Um, and um, so I, I was I was on the print course. So my path at that stage was on the print side of journalism. I wasn't really thinking about TV at all. Um, and obviously, it was a course that you know taught me a great deal. Um, back then, um, the the guys that ran it were quite tough old cookies, ex newspaper hacks, and. Um, they didn't, you know, I remember there was one occasion and uh, to this day, I don't know how, how I dared do it. They, they there was a, the, the fire brigade, the local fire brigade in Lancashire wanted a, a mock press conference to be held outside at an incident. And they'd asked them to send some journalism students down there. And it was a Friday afternoon. It was in summer, but I remember it was quite cold and I'd not brought a coat. And I, I remember, um, that I was, I was Alan Armstrong was the course leader, and he passed away recently. And I remember he said, "Christine and Phil, go down to Lancashire Fire Brigade. Get your notebooks. Go on. You're going to wear, you're going to grill these firemen on what this incident's happened." And I went, "Oh no, I'm too cold. I've not got my coat." No. <laughs> <laughs> and now to this day, how how I even dared do something like that? He well, you can imagine the response oh, yes. that I got. Not good. It, it was. You've not got your coat. I don't care whether it's snowing and minus 20 degrees, get out there. And that really taught me a lesson in many ways. One, that you don't mess with these kind of newspaper editors and these guys, but always be prepared for every eventuality. And it was something I used to tell the youngsters in our office in later years on calendar. You know, I just said, have in your boot, have wellies, have big coats, have everything, have, have dark jackets, have ties if you're a man and you need to do you know respectful interview or you're going to go to an inquest or something like that and I used to really try and drum it into them because that lesson never went away but it was that kind of tough cookie year that we had there where they didn't take any prisoners because I, I remember another incident when in fact it was 1984 it was the miners strike uh, was on and of course being students we were very much into supporting you know the miners and going on marches and and our journalism boss went bananas at us and said you cannot show that kind of affiliation you know it doesn't matter whether you're a student and you want to join all the other students on the other courses you're journalism students and journalists have to be impartial and fully reflect both sides of the news so the, those two lessons from that year really stuck with me but I think it was a bit of a school of hard knocks it wasn't easy yeah to be on that course but I'm very grateful that I, I learned so much God, that is tough mind you you've just given me a reminder I better put my you know wellies in my boot I've forgotten about that in a dark coat <laughs> you're right Christine oh no worry. even though I learned that lesson I'm very guilty of that myself or you know somewhere I've left them in the garage or something but yeah. but I do know you know a journalist boot is usually full of all the clobber isn't it that yeah. you, you might or might not need yeah, absolutely. I mean, what a lesson. Because then you went into papers, didn't you? And you were, I've heard you talk about, you know, writing up your copy and, you know, putting it in the news editor's uh, inbox. Just, you know, it was, you were, it was proper old school, wasn't it? 
I was, I'm that old. I really am. You're it makes old. me feel ancient and it's really weird. You're not. <laughs> um, everything has completely changed. So yes, my first job was on a local newspaper in Southport and uh, I was on a, not an old school typewriter. We'd write our copy with um, a carbon underneath. So you, you would always have uh, your copy writing on the front and then the back copy and you'd put your back copy on a spike by your desk which is probably a terrible health and safety hazard that they never yeah. allow these days but so you had your copy and you put the top copy on the in tray on the editor's desk and it was literally done like that and then they would they would look through decide what they wanted to do they send it to the subs put the headlines on it was proper old printing works downstairs and in fact um I was kind of there at the beginning of the big changes of what we called new technology, <laughs> which makes me sound such a dinosaur. But um, basically, they were bringing in computers, proper computers. And uh, we all had to go on strike because I was in the NUJ at the time and the NUJ made us go out on strike. So for 10 weeks, I stood outside the Southport Visitor Office with me and my friends. We were all of an age. We're all young and single. So for us, it was great. It was like a holiday. And we actually got paid more in strike pay than we did in our actual salaries. Wow. And it was summer and we 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 stand there. And then at the end of it, we, the NUJ said, no, we've done a deal. So you all have to go back to work. And it was a rise of pound fifty wow. a week. <laughs> I'm making myself sound so ancient but this was literally what it was like for us back then and then of course then the world of journalism and changed completely and um computers became you know the internet everything um you know nowadays young journalists can google anything they want it's there at the drop of a hand they can find all the old articles we literally had to go down to the library and look on microfiche to find old old newspaper articles or rummage through old cuttings files and so it's, it's, it's so much simpler now, yeah, it, but, <laughs> but a whole new world. It is a whole new world, but also you're not, A, you're not old, Christine. B, you absolutely do not look old in the slightest, but also it's just, <laughs> it's just that it's changed so much in such a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Because you're not really talking about that long ago. And I'm not, I'm talking here 80s, late 80s. Yeah. So really, we're talking 30, 40 years, the span of my, probably my total career. And um, I, you know, I now struggle to think how on earth we even got papers out in the way we used to do it. Yeah. Uh, because it was, it's, it's all there now at the drop of a hat and television has totally altered as well. Even from my going into television, yeah. that changed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because so your first job in television, so you did yeah, your papers and that's just such a great way to learn the craft. And then your first job, actually, it wasn't with Calendar, was it? It was with uh, BBC Northwest Tonight. Yeah, yeah, I was very much over in the northwest at the time. I, um, and that was luck because I was actually working at the time on the Lancashire Evening Post. I was on an evening paper by then, and uh, someone I knew on I met on a job one day just said, "Oh, you know, sometimes you are you interested in TV?" And I said, "Well, okay, I'd like to find out more." And they said, "Well, sometimes you can just come in and work on the late shift or whatever." And that's, and then a job came up, um, and I applied for it. And I remember thinking. Again, another sliding doors moment because I remember thinking, shall I go for this job? I really do love where I am. I love papers. I love writing. But I'm going to give it a go and I'll, I'm filled in the form, sent it off, and I got an interview. And I didn't get that job. It was only for a three month contract um, over at the Northwest Tonight, what was then on Oxford Road in Manchester. And I didn't get it, but they rang me up and said, we really thought you might have something. We'd like you to 
come in and just just do some odd shifts here and there so that's what i did for about a year I would work on the paper and started at seven in the morning on the paper and finished about four. And uh, then I'd drive to Manchester from Preston because uh, I was actually, the Lancashire Evening Post was based back in Preston. And then I'd drive there after work and stay and do shifts on the late shift at Northwest tonight. But I learned a bit more about that. And then when the next job came up, I got, so um, that was, I, and then, you know, I, I, luckily then really I, I thought then it was I think it was another three month contract which I started thinking well we'll see how this goes I can always go back to papers and um how many years later <laughs> I'm still working in television yeah but what a work ethic as well doing that working at the papers and then going in to do a late shift because mm. that's a long day but it was it was a couple of days a week I, I've always had that feeling I think that you've got to kind of to get where you want to be you have got to give more than is expected is a, is a phrase that I've heard used before and I think that's a really good ethos in life and one I now tell my daughter I just say just give more than expected do your best just try and at that stage of my life you know I had no responsibilities I I was um, I was in a relationship boyfriend but not no children nothing to tie me down I could live anywhere I liked as well and um, it I just thought well give it everything you've got and who knows what might happen I've still got that feeling now I still do do that that is very much a philosophy I live by but um it, it does life does get more complicated obviously as you get older and families come into the mix but um no I did always believe in that and I've always tried to encourage it's, it's something I've always said to the young ones again another of my oh, they must be sick of me where you get your wellies in the boot yeah, give more than is expected yeah. but I've always sort of said just get your head down do it do it to the best of your ability and you will get where you want to be. And I've always tried to say that to them, you know, because I've seen a lot of young journalists these days and they're quite impatient. You know, they're not, especially in television, they come in and they want to be on screen the minute they start and they want to be presenting the programme. But you've got to do the hard yards. And yeah. I, I think I definitely did do the hard yards. I had no easy ride. No, no, no. And we'll come on to that. But you're absolutely right, because actually it's one of those things, isn't it, that you can't substitute the experience and especially with television and live television the only thing you can do is build up the experience there's just you can't there's no course there's no nothing you can buy to substitute that is there there's not and i mean i did the old I mean, the old stuff where i would be sent as a, as a young reporter literally sent out to find stories um you know I, it was it was one of the things you how do you just find a story there's nothing happening today go and get one so things like having to go and look on the local news agents and see what signs were in the window looking to see you know births deaths and marriages in the papers whether any of those might might throw up an interesting angle something that might make more of a story having to we did every day one of us was sent to walk up to the police station and have a cup of tea with the detective inspector and literally say what's been happening and they'd say well there's been a burglary at number 10 you know um, this that and the other or, and then we used to go into the magistrates court and sit there and see what stories you were always having to think creatively and um i i mean i know nowadays life is different particularly with the police thing because the police are less accessible i think in that way than they used to be back then but um i think i think certainly my background as a young journalist taught me to come up with ideas left right and center and that in a way, it's difficult because I'm, I, I, me and I know many of my peers who've had the same kind of training and yourself, I expect too, and Rob, uh, Ellie, you're always seeing ideas for stories all the time mm. to the point where it's almost, you've got too many things going on. But uh, 
I, I always, I'm always looking and thinking, you know, that would make a great piece, that would make a great story, I would love to interview that person and yeah, yeah. that comes probably from those days. Yeah. Well, it's lovely and it's lovely because it's, well, it's just like a curiosity about life, isn't it, really? And this whole, cli I know it's a yeah. cliche, but everybody does have a story, but really everyone does have a story and that's what's the beauty of the job. But anyway, look, I'm going off because this is about you. And so, but what I love, again, this is another sliding doors moment and I thought this was brilliant. So you actually, you didn't really necessarily think about going into presenting, but then one morning you were doing an early shift. It was very early and you were a lovely presenter. So you were writing the, the bulletins and your lovely, lovely presenter came in and he he was really poorly he was Nigel J and Nigel passed away a few years ago he was such a lovely guy always sunny always bright you know exactly what you need when you're the early shift presenter you want someone who comes in and makes you a cup of tea and Nigel was one of those people and just one morning I was in there I was probably dressed a bit I mean you can see me now I've got a big black jumper on and literally this is this is what I was like I had no makeup on I was so head down, local radio on, doing all the stuff that you do when you're, you're writing the early morning news bulletins. And as you know, there's nobody in. Um, yourself, a couple of technical uh, technical staff, um, and the other people start drifting in about eight o'clock, but at six in the morning, there was nobody there. And obviously, what we also had the problem with back then, because I was at the BBC, we used to what calls they our, our presenters would self-opt and I think they still do that at the BBC. They don't do that on ITV, thank goodness. But you literally had to press your own buttons to put yourself on air. And so Nigel came in and he just looked green, green at the gills, white as a sheet. And he said, I feel terrible. But I just thought I'd better come in. And he managed to get through the, the very first bulletin. And then he said, I'm just going to go and have a lie down. Well, I had to go and find him. And he was in a dressing room and he was just you know horrible scene was there he was vomiting he was really poorly so i rang the boss and said nigel can't do the bulletin well i've just i'd just come off the induction bbc training course down in london at what was white city and done three weeks there during which i'd had to do a mock program as you do when you're all trainees together and i'd presented that and he said well you've done a bit of presenting i said well only on a training course and he said right you'll have to do it because we until i can get somebody else in I, and i was in this big jumper no makeup so they put me behind a big board <laughs> with just northwest tonight written on it because i looked i just looked appalling and because of as well i couldn't self-opt had not been trained so the the guy that was the technician um to staff that day he he was on the floor underneath the desk <laughs> with his hands on the desk in front of me, pressing all the buttons at the right time and fading up the faders. And I was shaking like a leaf with a piece of paper reading the bulletin. And I had to do that for a couple of bulletins. Oh and off the back of that, my presenting career began because they said to me, well, if you were interested, we'd, you know, we thought you read well, would you be interested in doing more? And I started then, and I was actually envisioning for the for the future ones, and that's where I started doing it. I remember being the first time the actual camera was there. I was so scared. I remember that countdown, which you'll know you've done it too. When the countdown starts, and you think, right, can I leg it? <laughs> can I just run <laughs> off out of this seat, or should I just stay here like a 
you know, a cat in the headlights and a rabbit in the headlights and, and do it. And that's how it felt, I remember. Those, oh. So that was my first presenting experience. But that started my presenting career and it kind of all went from there, really. Oh, amazing. But I do know that feeling. But hang on, I just, I, Christian, I need to get this clear. So when you say they put a board up, so literally, did, could, yeah. could you not see your face at all? No, you <laughs> couldn't see my face at all. All you could see was a screen with no, uh, me, me somewhere echoing behind it. <laughs> it would be so funny if I could ever find it. I don't find remember it. that they ever kept those things, but. <laughs> that is brilliant. And, and then you had the person down at the side at the same time. That is. Underneath me on the floor. Trying, and he was like, I don't know why he bothered because there was a board up, but he seemed to think, oh, well, I better just get down here. So he, he was like pressing the buttons <laughs> down at the side of oh, me. So it was funny. quite comical. I've never heard like the first screen test type of thing done where you've actually got a board in front of your face for TV. <laughs> but that's how good you are, Christine, because you, you passed. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, I suppose they thought I sounded okay, so that yeah. would do. Yeah, but the, I know there's like a face for radio, but it was something, it was a voice for TV. <laughs> it was the and did you, um, the, when you first did your bulletin in vision, did you still want that person down there, like holding your hand? Oh, I wouldn't give it anything for someone there, even just to hold his hand, you know, I wouldn't be. I it was so funny because I knew as well, the first time I did it, of course, all your family and friends, you know, you tell them, oh, I'm going to do And I wish I hadn't because all I could think of was everybody at home watching oh, yeah. <laughs> this bulletin and, and it freaked me out completely but uh, yeah what I mean you get a few under your belt you become a little bit more confident yeah. and that's how it worked out so oh, yeah I know that feeling I remember the first time I did it and it was like a weight on your I did a, it was an afternoon bulletin and it's like hang on there's a literally it felt like the weight of the world on your shoulders because you're like I can't I don't I don't want to do this and could you go away now? You don't want to do... It's, it's, it's that feeling of, have I got... Oh, here we go, 10, 9, 8. Oh, yeah, no. Oh, for five seconds. I yeah. could just I could just faint or yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just, yeah, I do. I sometimes, I'm, I shouldn't say that, but it still happens. You're like, or, oh my God, what if I say a rude word? I mustn't say, don't say a rude word. And then you're <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, the, worst, like, the worst ones are when you haven't got any autocue and you're out on a live and oh. you've no, and you suddenly mind goes blank, yeah. doesn't it? Just as that, oh gosh, it's yeah. terrifying. Oh, amazing. I mean, because the thing is, Christine, so then, I mean, this really was the start of something because, so you carried on and then, then you went over to calendar. Is that 1993? If I got the year right there. 1990, end of 1993, um, I, well, basically, I went to Calendar, I followed my then fella in, in life over to, because he'd moved over to Yorkshire and um, was ed working on the Yorkshire Evening Post. And um, we had about a year where we, you know, he, I was in Manchester and then he was over there. And we just thought, I just, I'll see if there's any jobs over there. And um, it was back in the days when life was a lot simpler because you could literally write to an editor and maybe send a little tape of what you'd done and get an interview and get a job. And that's literally what happened because obviously, you know, as well, now it's very different. Um, there have to be very every every job has to be advertised widely boarded you've got to go through lots and lots of screen test and interview processes to get a job but back then that's literally what i did i just wrote to ali rashid who was then the editor of calendar and said do you have any jobs um i'm a reporter and do and presenter over at northwest tonight here's a little tape and i walked in and um into the newsroom at calendar which which was which I was in for many years. We actually moved buildings in later years, but 
I always remember being overwhelmed by this vast place full of these very earnest journalists. And um, he, he, I was taken into his office and for about five minutes, he completely ignored me. And five minutes seems like a very long time when you, you're just sitting there in an office with someone with his back to you. And he just carried on writing. He didn't say hello or anything. And then he literally swung around on his chair and went, name the members of the cabinet. Wow. <laughs> I, so, I was trying to think of who I could remember. I must have said enough that satisfied him. And then it was literally, why do you want to work here? And oh, well, and I didn't mention it was because I was actually really more bothered about following my boyfriend at the time. And uh, and then he just said, well, yes, you can have the job. And it was as simple as that. Wow. So I think I wish life was as simple as that now. But uh, and thank goodness I knew a few members of the cabinet. Yeah, you'd, well done. Good research. I know. I'm actually not sure now. I would know them all but with all the changes. And no. I would, certainly wouldn't. But, I was just thinking mm. that. I was just thinking that. You didn't show him your tape, Christine, with the board in front of your face. When no. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't on your showreel. <laughs> That would have got no, the job. Put that one on. That, funnily enough, that was missed off. That was missed off. <laughs> Good for you. And I bet you had your welly boots in the car ready to go as well. I know. I know. It's all ready. But no, I, and so I had a, a couple of years uh, as a reporter. Uh, well, a year, not actually a year. I was just a kind of general reporter out and about. But I was doing, because I'd already got quite a lot of experience, I was doing quite a lot of the big stories. So I really did enjoy that period of my life where. Um, I was sent out and often doing the top story and I was working with a lot of the journalists that are still there now because Calendar is a, a very much a family place and, and there's not a big, been a big turnover so some of the names that you still see on screen were, were, were all sitting alongside me back then and um, but because I'd got the presenting experience I was also asked to stand in on the main programme and I would I ended up doing quite a lot of the weekend we used to have a Calendar Sunday programme which I did most Sundays and then occasionally I would stand in for Krista Ackroyd who was the main female presenter and that led to another opportunity which came along there was um I don't know if you've ever heard of Bruce Gingell Bruce Gingell was an Australian mogul basically who was um very high up at what was TVAM and big friend of um Murdoch's and Rupert Murdoch's and all that and he ended up coming as managing director at, at what was then Yorkshire Television and decided to start this magazine show called Tonight, which is very much like Tonight, today's one show. Mm. And it was done in Tyne Tees and Yorkshire television. And Tyne Tees had their own version and we had ours. And it was a dream job. And again, literally, I was just told I was the presenter, you know, without any, they just said, right, you're gonna present this new program and it's, it's every night, it's after calendar, it's half an hour, it's a magazine show about the region. And it was great fun. And we had four years doing that. So that really honed me as a, as a presenter because in many ways I had to do a lot more long form interviews and uh, we had sort of five or six minute interviews on there and it was all live and lots of messing about. Like we, had ki like we had kitchens and uh, we'd have music uh, performances. And so we really, I learned a whole different side of it. Well, rather than just being a very straight news presenter, I had to learn to be more relaxed and show my personality a lot more on there. And so that was a very enjoyable period, really. All of it was. I've been very lucky to get these opportunities. Oh, well, also, you I mean, you create your own luck, Christine. But that's amazing. And is this when you had your Christine's Big Trip? Was that when you were traveling? Yes, well? that was part of that. I mean, yes, I mean, Bruce, Bruce, uh, Bruce Gingell 
I mean, he was an amazing character, a really big character, as you can imagine. He had, I mean, he literally, he always, he had an ethos, he was so different to, he'd literally see somebody working, like one of our directors, he suddenly said, you should be on TV, and I want you to do a screen test, and Jeanette, my, who's a very good friend of mine, who did makeup and hair at, at Yorkshire Television, same with her, he went, you need to be on TV, and, and she didn't, she didn't want to be on TV, but he was, he was that kind of person, he just sort of whatever he wanted went, and he liked us all, I think a leftover of the TVAM legacy, he liked us all to wear pink jackets nice. and what and little white tops underneath. He also said that worked best on television. And, and I know to my great shame, and it sounds terribly sexist, but that's why I ended up going blonde. If you see any pictures of me when I first started, I had really dark hair. And he went, oh, you need highlights in your hair. You need to go blonde. And I did, which now I think it would be outrageous if somebody told you how you should look or how you... I mean, I guess you've got to dress professionally, but what colour your hair should be. But he literally told us that sort of thing. He was a nice guy, but very much the old school TV, you know, boss. And uh, and it was him. And, and at the time, it seemed budgets were no object, very different to, to how television is run today. And he came up with this idea that I should be sent around the world uh, talking to ex-Yorkshire Pats who... who who have made new lives abroad and we literally put out a message and said tell us if you know anyone who's got who's doing anything interesting anywhere in the world and we'll go and see them and so for two and a half months one summer that's what I did I went to um well started off in America I went to Las Vegas Florida um, New York um all, all parts really and meet, meeting all sorts of different people finding out their stories and then I went to Fiji for a few weeks and I went to New Zealand and then I went to Australia, all around Australia and even ended up living for a week in an Aboriginal community wow. in the Northern Territory. You had to get special permission to, to be allowed access into this village. It was called Peppermanati. And it was four hours drive from Darwin, which is obviously, we'd, we'd, we'd been in Darwin. I actually, in Darwin, I was interviewing um, Jarvis Cocker's dad, Jarvis Cocker, the lead singer of Pulp, a Sheffield lad, and his dad had gone out there to be a DJ, a, a bit very cool guy, and he was working as a DJ out in Darwin. So this was towards the end of the two and a half months. I was up in Darwin doing some filming with him, and then we got into a car and had to drive four hours into Peppermanati, right in the middle of the, the Aborigine community and we met a couple there called Darren and Trish Whitaker who were from Keithley and Darren she was working as a as a prime as a teacher in the local school she ran the local school and he was the caretaker there were there were a couple of they, were, they never liked to settle in one place for long so they were a couple that liked to backpack their way around the world and this is what they were doing at the time and so I spent about five days with them and I also remember being in, in, it was amazing, really. There's a picture of me, and they decided to film me talking to one of the community elders. And I'm sitting there, and he clearly he's trying to talk to me, and I clearly do not know understand what he's saying because he's he's telling me all this tale, and he can't understand me. And we're both nodding away at each other in this. Uh, in this it just reminds me of what it was like. But it was what an experience I had. Oh, wow. It was absolutely incredible, and. Um, Darren and Trish, you know, they, they became great friends. I'm still friendly with them on Facebook now. So I've kept in contact with a lot of the people I met during that trip. Um, you know, but one of the guys is a guy called Frank Bowling, who was um, manager, a Leeds lad, ordinary working class Leeds lad, who ended up as 
manager of the Bel Air Hotel, which is where all the celebs stay in in um, Las Los Angeles, Los Angeles, of course, and very exclusive place. And he's he's ended up being a good friend as well. So I've been very lucky. I mean, gosh, an experience like that, oh. and. And, and he sent me first class everywhere as well. So I was on first class travel, which I've never done since, oh. or, or before or since. Oh my goodness. But also, how fascinating. I mean, I would love to see those programmes now still, because it's just, we all love those stories. We we now, for regional news, we've got our away day at Western Supermare next Saturday, and that's like, that's our big day out. <laughs> We're going to drive ourselves. No offence to Western Supermare. But, the, you know, that's what it's, but the che- the, this is what we're saying, the difference in the industry. It has changed. I mean, money, it, it was the days of splashing the cash, and, and even in regional telly, you know, now... That kind of thing would not be done. But, I mean, we certainly milked it when we got back, as well as it making a slot on the Tonight programme. Of course, every every day we'd have a new, per- you know, one of the interviews I'd done. We made it into a six-week um, programme called My Big Trip, which was the half-hour programmes. Because back then, when when the regional television companies were all independently owned, they could do what they liked with their schedule. So we could put regional programmes on at any time of the day or night. So we were able to put that on. That was one that went out about, you know, about seven o'clock every evening. Um, when ITV it kind of it became more of a corporate group and, and ITV owned all of the regional companies, um, those kind of things stopped because everybody had, they had the same schedule to work to as we do now. So you've always got the regional news at six you, and you might have a political programme that's on later on in the evening or something. But... They don't now do those kind of half hour, just ad hoc half hour feature programmes that we used to have back then. Mm. But which is a shame for journalists, young youngsters coming through today, because not only me, but all of our team had a chance to work on those kind of programmes. So as well as doing the news, if you had an idea for a feature, you could put it forward and get it on air and do a half hour special, a big documentary. So it was a great learning curve for all of us back then. So... Mm. But I don't think now there's not the opportunity to spread your wings quite in the way it was, which is a shame. No, I suppose you can always do these things like on your own as such on your YouTube, but it's not the same. And it and I I still think you know what as a viewer I would I just love those kind of things. I still do. You know, I just think because it's real, real people. And but oh, I could talk to you all day about this. But that's I mean, and and wearing a pink jacket (laughs) too. I love that. Oh, so but then you then became so this this carried on you also worked on the well-being channel which that was like a satellite so that again was a whole new that was incredible because I mean, in a way we're, the only good thing we used to say was that because nobody had what was then called satellite telly and now obviously digital um it was way ahead of its time really it was a program that was sponsored by boots but made at yorkshire television in one of the massive studios over at yorkshire and um it was it was a whole big studio just with different areas and sets and what we used to we were live rolling 24 hours a day and it was all health and well-being and it we had cookie we had um, expert doctors we had makeovers um stories people's stories about the health challenges that overcome we had phone-ins and my job as one of the presenters on there was for three hours at a time to literally present live no matter what what was coming up next so i might be one minute doing a cookery item 
with um, you know healthy dishes. Then I'd be sitting on the couch with Doc Dane, and we'd do a live phone in. Then I might have somebody who'd been through some terrible trauma and talk to them. And, and they were long interviews. We'd do half hours, three forty-five minutes. And next thing, I'd be with Nikki Clark would come up from London and. Uh, do a makeover on somebody and we'd, we'd talk, literally spend an hour or so doing that. Brilliant, really, in terms of my, as learning to be a, a presenter because you, you had to be on your metal the whole time. And the, the ones of us that were on, were on that program, it only, it only was on air about two years. I, I'd, and I'd got pulled back to calendar by then to, to present calendar, but um, we used to joke and say, well, thank goodness nobody has satellite telly because nobody's <laughs> watching. So we can, go, we can make terrible mistakes and it doesn't really matter. But uh, it was good fun and a lot of young technical people, they brought in quite a lot of young guys and, and girls to learn really straight from college because it was a good way to do that. And many of them have gone on to do great things. So, you know, it was really nice to see where they all started out. And we all just had to muddle our way through. I mean, now you see programmes like that all the time on different channels, but uh, there was nothing like it of its time back then. So um, oh. it was a good, another sliding door moment. But yeah. I, I basically was working there one day and I was really enjoying myself because another thing, I just had my daughter then and she was only little and what because of the what how we did it we did long days but but less days so i would do a three-hour stint have an hour or so off come back do another three-hour stint and somebody else we'd we right through till say nine o'clock at night but i only had to work a few days a week which kind of suited me as a, as a young mum at the time but um i was there one day getting ready when i just got a call from calendar uh, back where i'd been started out there and they just said, what are you doing tonight? And I said, well, I'm, I'm here, I'm working, I'm presenting well-being. And no, you're not, you're, you're coming back, you're presenting calendar, you're the new presenter. <laughs> so again, again, doesn't happen anymore, but that's how it happened back then because Krista, who had done it, had, and she'd switched channels, she'd gone to the dark side where I'd started out. She'd gone to the BBC and she's a great friend of mine and I ended up just having to do her job so that's how it all started there and I was there for 20 years what a 20 years but that is just amazing isn't it? and you but also all that experience you had because yes you were doing all the lovely stuff but you were doing some you know big interviews as well and then so this this must have got you to the point so then you were working and then a little while later you're working with um Duncan the fabulous Duncan Woods who I know from when I used to be a runner and I used to book his train tickets when he worked in Manchester as the GMT correspondent did you yeah, I did. oh my goodness out his hotels oh. things like that you and Duncan together were you one of the you're the longest serving partnership or one of the longest serving partnerships with United we were yeah when I first went to calendar uh, Mike Morris was still presenting oh. he'll know Mike because yeah. Mike was also down at GMTV and he he was presenting with Krista so I started with him and he was this great, you know, big heavyweight news reporter, really, but a really, a really funny man as well. So my first period at Calendar was with him and he left. He had some ill health and again, sadly died, but he, he, he had some ill health at the time. And um, then I presented for a while with Jeff Druitt, who was a reporter at Calendar, who had a big heavyweight political reporter, great, great guy. And so I had about a year with him because they were then looking he was planning on retiring, so they were looking then for the new the new presenter of Calendar, which which two years in was Duncan. Yeah, Duncan and I have been uh, 
presenting together ever since. In fact, tonight I'm presenting with Duncan, uh, hosting an award ceremony. He's doing it with me this evening. So oh. we're still we're still very much a partnership and a duo. Amazing and so special. And but also, you know, I know this only purely. I've never done it full time, but I stand in sometimes on the on the on the program. But it's such a for you two to do that every night, and you're part of someone's. You know, and to have that comfort and ease. And not only that, but you've interviewed prime ministers. You've been very much involved with the Hillsborough inquiry you know you're you have been involved in all ends and that's I think there's very few people who can do that Christine because it's you know you have your specialists and you have your p- politics or you do your hard news or you do your soft but to be in that job where you have to do cope and also make the viewer f- you know feel like they're with you sitting on the sofa like that like that chap you know, that was underneath the desk with you <laughs> sitting in front of you it really I mean it it really is incredible. And I suppose all what you had been doing led you up to doing this, didn't it? And, and what a lovely thing yes. to do. Yes, it did. And I think because I had a quite strong journalistic background, I mean, I think that really stood me in good stead when I went back to calendar because I'd, I'd done many years covering big stories and, um, you know, and, and just having to get to grips with things on a daily basis as, as all reporters do. So when I went back and I was the main presenter, um, obviously it offers different challenges because yes, one day they can just say, I mean, David Cameron is coming in this afternoon and you've got to be on your metal, you've got to have all your questions ready, you've got to be quite prepared. So one of the things I, I am very keen on is I do prep hard and I try and make it look easy and relaxed, but I think knowing your subject inside and out so you don't get caught out is a very important thing. And I always, always make sure I'm on top of it as much as I can be on a live breaking news day. But yes, I have. I've covered a lot of very big stories over the years. Um, you know, I did, I did, as I said, the developments with the Hillsborough, the Hillsborough inquests. Um, I covered the disappearance of Claudia Lawrence in great depth um, in York, a lady that you may know, she, she's been missing now nearly 14 years, coming up well in March, and um, got to know her family very well. Um, the Bradford City uh, fire anniversaries, I've, I've interviewed so many people over the years who've had the most um, terrible experiences, but are just incredible, and I'm full of admiration by how they you know they're able to and they open up to you and they want to tell you their story and they want you to know about their loved ones and and they they you get to know them and they become i become part of their lives they become part of mine and i feel very privileged to to have that position and and that's continued even after i've left calendar i don't i don't believe in being the kind of journalist where you interview someone and then oh that's it now i'm just going to walk away and we i always do try and maintain contact even if it's just have a cup of coffee which I recently did with Claudia Lawrence's mum last week, just to be just just to be friends with them. Not really because I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to do a story about anything, but I just think it you can't impinge on somebody's life at a terrible time in their life and then just use them in a way and disappear. So I don't believe in doing that, and um, that's always been very something that's that has mattered to me very much. But yeah, people, I feel very lucky to do a lot of the stories that I've done. You know, I've, I've met some amazing famous people but also people to use the phrase that's well used in journalism ordinary people with extraordinary stories to tell mm. under many different circumstances and um sometimes i do look back and think gosh you know how how lucky have i been to to get a chance to meet and do meet people and do things and see places 
that would not have come to me. Well, they wouldn't have come to me if I'd gone down the teaching sixth formers yes. all those years ago. So dad was right in the end, wasn't he? No, he was right. And you definitely probably wouldn't have ended up in LA at that lovely hotel, the Bella Hotel either. But just going back to, going back to Christine, because I, you know, I've worked in journalism for a long time. And, I, you know, I met my husband, as you well know, I met my husband there. I, you know, some of my very, some of my very closest friends. It's something that I think it's not, necessarily um and i think it's not in all walks of journalism i think it's not in all walks of tv but certainly within regional telly i think it's a, a it's a very special and unusual thing that we become like a little family and just such because you have such a close working relationship with you know the director our director i called her you know she was one of the first people i called after i had had our babies you know which sounds silly mm. because they're involved and in that live tense you know you really are there but I think that I think that is unusual and I think it shows who you are the fact that the people that you're interviewing you're sort of treating in the same way and I actually think that's very rare because I don't think that many people do do that as much and it's the fact that obviously it goes back to you with this you're so interested in stories and telling stories but that person it's not just about getting the scoop on the news you want to tell that person story and then you get to know the person and that is actually the magic it also brings me a lot I mean I I want one example of a, of a person that I got to know well and after doing an interview with was um, Hannah Hawkswell the kind of always known as the first lady of the Dales who uh, took the world by storm in the 70s when Yorkshire Television discovered her living up in a, an old farmhouse with no water no heating and running the farmhouse on her own and she became this huge celebrity um a little like the, the probably precursor to the Yorkshire Shepherdess or although you know back back in the day and I met Hannah for the first time um, when it was her 85th birthday and I went to do an interview with her. And um, again, you know, I got to see her extraordinary life. By then she wasn't living in the farmhouse. She'd moved into a little cottage in a village near, near County Durham. But she, I got to know her so well and she used to sit there listening. She only listened to the radio. She still didn't have a TV. She'd darn this mattress all day. She was a real hoarder. She'd save everything just in case that all that you know waste not one not mentality but a lovely lady and very wise and i loved going up there every few months i'd, I'd probably go up there and, and just have a cup of tea with her and sit in her house and the ticking clock and the radio on and i found it really peaceful just to listen to her because she had such a lovely soothing voice and she was another lady that we did i did a couple of more bits with her over the years but I was very privileged to be one of the last people to spend time with her because she moved into a nursing home uh, shortly before she died and I went up to see her there. And I have a lovely picture now because um, I was showing in my phone, which I had an iPhone. Well, she's fascinated by this. And I was showing her all the different things you could do on it, which, you know, you can you see the news, you can do this. And I showed her how to do a selfie. I said, let's do a selfie. And she did. She put it there and she pressed the button and she was then wanting to do all these selfies and so I had such a nice experience you know not just not just you know I, I it's not really because I think oh I, I want to get anything out of anybody for me it was about also I, I was 
you know had a lovely friendship with her and I'll, I really do miss that so I, I get something out of it too so. yeah oh, well, how special how special and to realize that as well because it's it's very easy not to but and also then because you also Christine you had your own situation where you had your diagnosis of breast cancer in 2012 and but again you approached this in the sort of the same way really didn't you because you wanted you know all these t this time of you telling people stories and you shared your story and then you can now still help people through your story now which again I think is incredible yes yeah um it, when I when I first got the diagnosis um I was obviously on air and um still not, not on air when I actually got the diagnosis but I was still working for a few weeks I didn't really say anything to anybody at the time because the treatment hadn't started then and but then I, I thought well what do I do here? Do I just kind of disappear and go off? Because the, the consultant had sort of said to me, look, chemo, I wouldn't advise you to stay on air because you, he said, with chemotherapy, you, you might be fine some days, but other days you might not. And I know I've seen presenters who do carry on working through it. But he said to me, my, I, he said, you, you could be causing more problems for your work colleagues because if you're there expecting you in and then you're suddenly ringing in saying I'm not up to it today it's not fair on them so he said if I were you I would take some time off and um and then we thought well we can't I can't just disappear because people just think I've been sacked or something so eventually we we did go about two months in um Gaynor was standing in for me my colleague and friend and, and they, annou they announced it on calendar I couldn't believe the outpouring of love and affection from our viewers and that moved me incredibly and I I always say that it's a really strange thing to say but in some ways yes I, I had cancer and I wouldn't wish it on anybody but what I saw and the kindness of people and the goodness of people's hearts and the lovely messages and letters I got and the care and concern that was shown showed me there is a, such a lovely side and a human side to people and, and a very good side to people that I think it was only really having that that opened that up to me and of course everyone gets on with the lies and every life goes back to normal but for that little window I just what, what lovely people are out there and how kind and I got um there was one you know viewer would write to me every month and and just just checking how you are and I made I did make friends with with other ladies particularly in my position because one of the things obviously I've got quite a lot of hair and I, they were fascinated by what was going to happen to my hair and I did lose my hair pretty much I wore the cold cap to save a little bit of it but I would get inundated with uh, messages and people that wouldn't contact me on Facebook and say you know or please can you give me some hope when I was back on air and I was looking back to myself again and I was really pleased that I could offer in some way, you know, you'll be all right, this hopefully, but I don't know, not everybody is lucky. And I was very lucky. Mine was caught in time and I had all the right treatment. And um, and I know nowadays the kind of cancer I had, breast cancer, and it was a, it's one that's what's called HER2 positive, which is an aggressive form of cancer. But the new drugs that have come in, I was lucky enough to benefit from, Herceptin particularly, saved so many hundreds of thousands of women's lives since, including me. And um, but I was able to give hope to people and talk to them. And I've, I've a one lady who still messages me now. She would message me every time she was going through her, all the treatment about a year behind me. Oh, when does this stop? When do you stop feeling like this? How long before I get my energy back? And what's do you take any supplements? And and a lot of, I've had a lot of that. And and I really like the fact that I was able to just do that just privately. Really, I didn't really do it 
you know, on air or anything, but because um, I know when I was diagnosed, and it's bonkers really, and they say, don't Google, don't go on the internet, and I didn't, but I, I, I took that advice, I didn't go on about, you know, what anything about the actual tumour or such, but what I did do was I was looking for all the people in the public eye that might have had breast cancer like me, and how were they now, and Kylie Minogue, for example, yeah. you know, she, she'd just been through it not long before me, and and that massively helped me. So if I can do that, then yeah. you know, I, I would. I'm really pleased. It's something positive, and get that message across to keep checking. Get you make sure you don't ignore any bad signs because that's what happened. I didn't, and I could easily have done. I I found my lump myself in the shower, um, and what one morning I actually noticed something. I was lying in bed and I noticed something, and I thought, oh, what's that? Is it a rib? And then again, I felt it again later, and then I ignored it because it was Christmas and busy with Christmas. And the week later, and luckily it was because that Christmas between uh, that period, sorry, between Christmas and New Year, is relatively quiet in regional news. You don't have the half-hour programs, so I wasn't doing as much that week. And it was only because life was quiet that I contacted the doctor that week, and I went in. And the doctor immediately thought this is something serious and referred me on for tests. But I know I could easily, if I'd been in my normal period of life, it had been a normal busy week, I probably would have ignored it a lot longer and that could have made all the difference. So I try and get that message across yeah. to not ignore anything, just get it checked straight away. Yeah, especially um, with women who are so busy and, you know, there's all, always looking after someone else, but then you ignore yourselves as well. But, but also... Yeah. Do you not think as well? This is again. It all goes back with this. This the the, the power of storytelling, really done in mm. the way, in the special way. And again, I think these days sometimes the media gets bad old press, if you pardon the pun. But the fact that you know you have told people's stories in such a great way, and then you told your own story in a in a way, and then by telling stories, this is what helps and makes you feel you're not on your own. And that really mm. is kind of the original part of why you wanted to do this in the first place. Yes, it is. And I think it's a really funny thing because when you, you start out as a news journalist, you, you don't really want to be the story, do you? You, you? you want to tell other people's stories. And I did find it initially that was a bit strange being asked about my situation and, um, and asked about my, um, you know, top the focus being on me my instinct has never been to do that um so i had to get that get my head around that and then i think once i did realize it was actually a positive thing and it was it was it was good for people and if i could help somebody even even two women and i've had that it's really nice that i've had women say because i saw you talking or because of this i went and checked something out and yes i have got breast cancer mm. but i also know that looking at you that you can come through it and life does get back to normal and i always say that because i know that when you have it and you're in the middle of that whirlwind of that bubble of treatment which you end up in when you're having treatment it's your life just is all consumed by appointments and scans and the next lot of treatment and when you're having chemo particularly you, you have this three-week period where you have the chemo and then they give you steroids straight away so you've got the, the energy of you i could mow 20 lawns you know for about two days and then you go crashing down mm. for about five days where you can hardly get up the stairs you know i literally would crawl up the stairs and then you come round again so you have to time your life to when you have your good days and when you have your bad days 
But I was able to share that with people who were about to go through it and say, look, don't plan anything. That first, apart from the first two days when you can mow a thousand lawns and do your whole garden and somersaults around it. I said, don't do anything that week. Don't plan anything. And just little silly things like that that you don't think of unless you're actually going through it yourself, you know. So it's. And how old was your daughter at that stage? She was 14 um, and found it quite difficult, I've got to say. She did find it difficult. She was at an age where that she just did not want mum to be ill. And and I, bizarrely, the, the line said about Kylie Minogue, that kind of brought around because I said to her, well, don't worry, you know, mum, I'm going to be okay. And I said, look, Kylie Minogue's had it. And she has she? And I said, yeah, and she said, well, she's got great hair now, mum. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fine yeah she was fine after that and then her friends were all um very much um you know oh, they thought they were coming around making cakes they were always around at our house and we always had best friends here and i think she kind of thought oh i'm quite cool you know my mom, i've got this to, to I, i'm i think because i was it was becoming a bit of a thing with them that she saw that as a positive which is a which is a thing that 14 year old girls do isn't it and she's actually said to me only recently She's 25 now and a very wise girl. And she's said, Mum, I would have been, if it happened now, I think it would be very different. I think I tried to push it away at the time. But I didn't, I didn't want to not, I didn't want it to affect her life or anything. So, yeah. and luckily, I was always, I was lucky. I, I, I have got friends who've died of cancer and had all, you know, terrible, seen them. And you're not able to generally live life as normal. And it's, it's, it's you know you just can't and you know I know that sometimes one of the things I also discovered was it's not always easy to be um one of these people you see you see people on on social media and and I think everyone deals with it in their own way but they might have a bucket list or the dancing and like Deborah James she did massive amounts for raising the awareness of bowel cancer but I also know there's some people who don't want to have to feel that pressure to to do all that kind of thing they just want to be poorly if they want to be or they want to be with the families and they just want to do it quietly so i think that one of the things i did learn is is you shouldn't be expected to be a certain kind of person just or do certain things because you've got this illness and you might not be able to and that's that's absolutely fine and i didn't i didn't get a bucket list i just to be honest and i think i think maybe because i have had a, an interesting life in it already I didn't see this need to, oh, I want to go and climb mountains because I'd done a lot of nice things. I only really wanted to be at home mm. with my family. I am very much a home bird. And I thought, well, this is a real opportunity for me to do that, you know, yeah. <laughs> to be with, with my husband, with my children, with my mum, with, you know, with my friends, see my friends. And I did a lot of that during, I, I was out there all the time having lunches <laughs> with my wig on. <laughs> Brilliant. I bet you look good as well. And I bet you had, you had that lovely cake and I bet you could dance as well as Kylie Minogue. So I think it was uh, I don't think so. I'm well, sure. the, my old ballet days have long gone. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, they have. You should have got your sister in. But um, yeah, have a little boogie. So, but but so then, I mean, I mean, it's incredible. So then you, I mean, you did go back to work, and you, and then, I mean, I mean, it's all about you having the confidence of being yourself, isn't it? And all of us. And this is probably a lot of what what I'm trying to do here in the next chapter. It's it is like no matter what stage we're in, it's doing what's right for us and I think especially as women we're, we're not very good at that and so I mean you your next chapter I mean it's incredible I mean you everything was going great and you just absolutely love what you were doing but you just have this feeling do you know what 
I need to do something else. And then so you you left calendar. I did. I mean, I was I when I went back out. I um I went back. I had a year in the end off because I had had to have chemo, radiotherapy, and surgery, and it was all. So I ended up taking a year out. But I do think that twigged something in me a little bit that year because I had been able to be in charge of my own life. Apart from you know the treatment side of things, I did like that sense of having a say, more of a say in my own life. And don't get me wrong, I went back to Canada and had I had a great well another ten years. I was there a long time, in which I did some incredible things. I went to Calais, um, did, a, did a series of features about the migrant situation. We followed people from Bradford who were looking after the migrants in, in the Calais camp. So I saw that. I I did a big interview. Um, I did a piece about the Yorkshire Ripper and I ended up being Peter Sutcliffe writing to me about it. And I was the last, I ended up being the last journalist to get a letter from Peter Sutcliffe. Not that it's something you particularly want to get is a letter from Peter Sutcliffe, but that was was a big story at the time. And, and, I, and I won I was really lucky to get win some awards and this, that and the other. So I, I was on a whirl and I think having been through the cancer, I threw myself into work and was determined to enjoy and get everything out of it that I could. But about 10 years in from that, so we're talking really, that, well, it was two years ago, three before that, two years before I left, I started to feel I've done this now and that I want, I don't, I can either stay here and carry on doing what I'm doing. So I just drop off my perch and they start saying, oh God, is she still there, you know? <laughs> or I can leave while I'm still enjoying everything I do and just see what else is out there, but have freedom and not be tied to the roster. And my mum is becoming, you know, she, bless her, she's great and she's great fun and everything, but she's more and more frail. And having lost my dad when he was only young, he was only 62 uh, when he died, I'm aware that life is short, you know, and I've also been through that myself. I've lost a couple of friends recently and I just thought, I want to have a chance to open life up again and just jump off that cliff and see what happens. And it was a massive step and it wasn't an easy one. I went through quite a difficult time making that decision. In fact, it took me... I'd say two years before I left, I started thinking about it and it took me really about 11 months from actually telling them at work that I was thinking of going to actually going. And um, I was really nice. They were absolutely lovely. Mark Heyman, who was my boss at Calendar, didn't want me to go. He, he was saying, please, you know, we'd love you to stay. We don't want you. I didn't feel in any way that I wasn't wanted or anything. I just wanted to find out what else was out there. And uh, even if it was just to have the chance to to wake up in the morning and think, well, today I might just go for a walk or, or I might just meet a friend. Mm. But also I wanted to see opportunities to do different things in life with my career. And in the end, I, I, I likened it to, um, there's a scene, I was watching Apollo 13 with my daughter Beth one day. And I don't know if you've seen that film, but it's when they don't know if they're going to get back to Earth. And they're all in this capsule, in this claustrophobic little capsule. And Tom Hanks says, good luck, guys. See you on the other side. And they press the button, which will take them through the atmosphere. And they literally all tumble around and everything's going mad and they're not sure if they're going to make it. And I remember saying to Chris, my husband, that's what I feel like I'm doing. I'm just pressing 
this button and I'm, I'm going to tumble around and tumble around and hopefully come out somewhere the other side like a washing machine. <laughs> and that's what happened to me. And I, 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 I'm bad with change, Ellie. I, got, I have always in my life struggled with change and all the different things I've done and moved on to different jobs. It's always been quite traumatic for me and I don't know why, but I'm very much... I like what I know and I'll cling to the familiar and very much, um, you know, this is safe. But I have always made the steps and I have known that I will come out of it the other side. And that's exactly what I did here. And I I was a nightmare for, I, I would, to, you know, going over and over in my head, am I doing the right thing? Because you're right, when you've done something that I've done for so long and you've been on screens in Yorkshire and you're so visible, it, when it became it became known that I was leaving, everywhere I went in the region, people would ask me about it. What are you going to do? What are you going to? And I didn't know really. And I, I was trying to come up with, oh well, I've got lots of plans and I've got, got all these projects. And I, I didn't. I I didn't really know what I was going to do. I just thought. So I found that very difficult. I found the the again, like when I was diagnosed with cancer, I got lovely, lovely messages. So many on social media now because that was the, that was obviously much bigger now and so many messages and people saying how much they'd enjoyed watching me that I almost started to question am I doing the wrong thing because if I'm if I'm actually that good I didn't, I didn't really I've never thought of myself as being anything any good but people were saying oh we love watching you all these and I'm thinking oh, I must be better than I thought I was so I better not go and I'll be nobody if I'm not Christine Talbot off calendar and nobody will ever speak to me again and I'll lose all my friends and I was really tied up with with losing my identity mm. but everyone around me was saying you've just got to go with your gut instinct and I've got it here I'll show you this this little book my daughter bless her heart she went to this trouble and she, she wrote she wrote on every page a little message wow. <laughs> about sort of taking that leap and um, there's one on every page and she, she filled the whole book with it and she gave it me, which was incredibly moving. Yeah. And I sometimes, I keep that by my bed and when I when I was having a wobble, I would just literally open a page and like now, so um, yeah. it's pay attention to who you're with when you feel your best. It's your story, feel free to hit them with a plot. Just trust at any point. She just was, well, you know, she's, she's very into these inspirational yeah. quotes because she's, yeah. she's of that generation, but never give up on a dream just because it will take time to accomplish um the comfort zone is a beautiful place but nothing ever grows there this and that's the sort of thing that i that she she said it was very much i'm a husband as well we're very much you know is 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 a thing i think and i think one of your and one of the quotes that resonated with me as well as all these which obviously i was reading like mad at the time to keep me going was um don't look forward, don't look backwards, it's not the direction you're going. And one that Sean, who I know you you interviewed, Sean uh, Williams, who I met as a young journalist years ago, I used to work with her when I was at the BBC. And um, she, when she left her job, she was after me, but she said the ship is um, safest, is, is safest in the harbour, but that's not where it's meant to be. And I think you've got to follow your gut, and my gut was, I used to say to myself, okay, Christine, right, this is really traumatic and it's a big decision. Imagine you're not going, imagine you're going back into the boss and you're saying, I'm not leaving, I'll, I'll stay. I'll stay for the next 10 years till I do drop off my perch. How would you feel? 
And I thought, no, it's wrong. I've got to just make that step and do it. And I mean, in, in, in terms of life, it's not that big a thing. It's leaving a job. And, um, but it's opened up a whole new world of possibilities and, and nice experiences for me that I wouldn't have had if I'd stayed there. And I do miss the team. I love that team. Like you say, regional news people are families and I love every one of them. I'm, and I do miss them and luckily I do stay. Into, but the nice thing is I've actually seen more of many of them now than I did when I was working with them because we were all on different shifts or we were all too busy. And now I can meet them and have a coffee and we actually spend more time socialising and getting together, which is lovely. So, oh, And I, I wish everyone there well. It's a great place to work. Yeah. How amazing. And also, I mean, what a send off you had. I saw your leaving video with Gareth Gates and Tony Christie. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. That was amazing. I was stunned. I was stunned. And they sang that song. They, Duncan, bless his heart, asked them to sing. And they recorded, you know, um, that, that that's what friends are for. And there was Gareth Gates, there was Tony Christie, there was Leslie Garrett, mm. Elliot Kennedy, the songwriter that writes for, you know, all the songs for Take That, Meryl Osmond, who I know, I do know because I've done a couple of his galas. Um, oh, I was blown away. Absolutely. I can't even listen to that song now. I, I, if I do, I cry. It was such an emotional thing. And I was thinking, I can't believe these people have all gone to this effort for me. And uh, it was very emotional. And um, yeah, that send off was huge. And I was very lucky and very privileged. Oh. So I just thought, well, you, you know, good. I, I, in a way, I, I've been lucky to not only have an amazing career, but to end it on such a, a nice note. Mm and still have things ahead to look forward to. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I'm glad they didn't get the board out. You know, the, the, ah, just for old times Gareth sake. Gates with the board. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I mean, no, I mean, Jake, because you're so special, Christine. I don't want to get all gushy, but this is why I've wanted to interview you for a long time. And it's an honour to be able to interview you when you've interviewed so many people and put so many people at ease because I know that is a, a gift to do. It, it really is. And yeah, I mean, and so brave. Can I just ask, what does your daughter do? What does she do? Well, she's currently working. Well, she's actually, you know, she's got the writing book. Yeah. She, she wants to be a writer. And she's doing, um, she's currently doing an MA in creative writing at Manchester yeah. University. But she's working part-time as well for the Harrogate Flower Show. Or she's just, they're in the run-up to the spring show now. So she's organising and working with all the floral designers. Not that she's a gardener herself in any way, but she's that she's helped helping make sure it all happens on the day so she's doing that so oh, wow. yeah so she's yeah. she's definitely got the writing bug just like i had yeah and what next chapter wisdoms as well so so christine how are you finding it how what is life like now well it's really again once i kind of got through that oh my goodness what have i gone and done oh and, and it died down i mean one of the things that made me laugh so much and i hated it was i would get people going how's retirement and I was like oh no I'm not retired I used to say well I'm actually not retired I'm reset and that's what oh, I'm nice. doing and um so what I'm, I'm doing lots of different things there's been all sorts of projects I'm, I'm now writing back to my writing roots a little bit I'm writing for Yorkshire Life magazine every month which is really nice because I can write anything I like and so I just have to write a column and just meet the deadline and that's about it, but I'm really enjoying getting my teeth back into that. Um, I'm doing a lot of hosting events 
I'm also doing a, um, a big sort of live on stage show interview where I'm just interviewing people at the Great Yorkshire Show on stage, all mainly related to the farming world, but farming celebrities. I did it last year as well. Um, I've been, I did a big a deep, filmed a DVD recently with Meryl Osmond, who sang on my thing, um, where I did a big in-depth interview to mark his retirement year. So that's uh, being edited at the moment and going on sale. And I'm talking to various production companies about projects and ideas for filming coming up in the future. So there's uh, a lot happening. I mean, I like, it's what someone said to me the other day, you've now got a hybrid career. And I quite like the idea of a hybrid career because I never quite know what's around the corner. So um, there's lots of nice, lots and lots of nice projects. But the nice thing is I can say yes and I can say no. Mm. I can fit life in with mum, with my friends, with my family and be there for people a bit more as well. But, and I, and I have had this, I've, I've, I've constantly saying I'm going to do, learn how to properly cook and do things like, you know, do all the things I've never really properly done in my life. But I haven't really got around to that yet. So that's the next thing. But also I've got a project coming up actually, which I am going on to a bit of YouTube. Um, with Duncan and John Mitchell, the weatherman from Calendar, we're, we're starting a little magazine show which is going to go on to YouTube. So um, that's all being, in fact, we're filming it next week. So that's something to look forward to. So we'll see how that goes. But the nice thing is we can have a bit of fun doing it. And uh, kind of, it's a bit like the fun side of what we used to do on the programme. Um, not news-based, really, more magazine shows. So it's almost like back to the magazine show that I used to do and park calendar as well oh, so yeah is, oh that is brilliant that's made my day I'm, you know and this is i think something we all un under it and as you say all the people that you've interviewed you know you do in this job you do get the the sense of game even more so that life is short because you see so many and everything that you've been through as well and but also just to get a little bit of time for you to be christine just as you and not as you know a team because it is a big attachment to the television world and a, a job like that. Um, and you're known for being, oh, yeah, that's the girl, you know, that's the woman from the news, that, you know. And to be just you and to be able to sit and have your coffee and put your, I mean, you look lovely in your black jumper, by the way, but you can put on, <laughs> you can put on your black jumper or, or, or whatever. I can wear, yes, I can wear anything I like now. No I don't have to wear in, yeah. coloured shift dresses. And, no, <laughs> yeah. no board in front of you on this interview, that is for sure. But, you know, it's, but that must feel very very nice to just get a sense of yourself as well mm, it is and it took a while to adjust but I, I I feel very content now and something was pushing at me inside and you know I just kept thinking oh, what's happened to me because I used to go to work every I never think oh I'm at work and I loved work. I've always loved every second of it. But there's something was telling me and my gut instinct, and I'm a great believer in following your gut, um, that it was enough's enough. You've got to just try new things and follow the advice in my little book that I got here and just, just give give something else a go. And if it doesn't work out, fine. But I, I didn't want to not have tried and and just just to see and and part of it is that needing time for myself and to become to to be myself rather than my identity all tied up with calendar and the work and the hours that I was working there uh, part of it is being completely a full person and I don't want to get to a point where I'm too old to do all that I want to enjoy my life and all the opportunities that it holds and that's not just work wise that's personally as well you know being able to 
go away for a few days with the girls. You know, I've not, I've never, I've always been on a situation where I've got so many days off a year and I had to eke those out. Now my friends will say, oh, let's plan something. And I can go, yes, and go. And I'm really loving that, you know, just having that freedom. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's everything. It's personal and professional. Just trying something new and knowing that whatever happens, I gave it a go and I did do it is, is important to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think, because I'm so conscious of your time, but there's so much to talk about. But I also, I mean, I think as well, because the, doing the hours that, that you've been doing, you know, you're on air at six o'clock at night, you're doing late news as well. So, you know, we always say about the, the we um, call them the, like the lovely normal people who can go to the pub at half past five on a Friday. And the other day when I called you about this, you were in the pub. I was going Friday. to the pub. And I, I like, know. She's I a know. normal person. She's a lovely normal I'm person. I'm a normal person. Oh. I know. I said that. I said I would never, because I've never, obviously all, all my career um, in television, I've always worked till at least 7.30, you know, 8. And, and as you say, when I've been in the late shifts, you're not getting home till midnight. So I've never been one of these people that can actually go for a drink after work at, say, 6 o'clock or half five. Yeah. Yes. So we, we only do it on a Friday night, though. Oh, <laughs> not every night, not every although night. I'm very tempted sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Well, you deserve it as well. But, I mean, amazing. Oh, I love that. I love that. So, Christine, for you to be continued, well, this is a big question. I mean, it, what obviously, you've got all these amazing things coming up. What would you like to do in sort of looking into the future? What? By the way, I think your daughter should publish that book because, I just think that's amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, she should, actually. And, and what moves me so much is the effort she went, you know, to actually handwrite something for her. I mean, there's a, it's quite plenty of pages in it. And that she did this for me just moves. I'm getting emotional yeah. just thinking about it. But, no, I, you, I, she just sort of, she just kept saying to me, and she's incredibly wise, really, for, for a young girl. But she just says just sometimes you need you need to go through something to open up and be your full self. And you need to make that change in order to see the world in full colour again. That's one of the, and, and I think that's that's what I needed. But yes, she, that's an idea that she should do that. I mean, I think she's got these quotes from all over the place. So she's probably plagiarised them from everywhere. But but it's, it's just lovely um, that I, I had that support from my family, you know, um, who all, felt yeah you are ready for that change you're ready to make that leap and they were all behind me doing it and held me up when I was going oh my goodness I think I've done the wrong thing I'm going to ring up calendar and say can I come back yeah. <laughs> and I literally did do that Ellie I did you it a couple you? of times yeah yeah. But, yeah but I suppose as well when they're so lovely and you know it's so hard to walk away from something that you love but it's that it's that gut instinct isn't it so so if you like you know what would you say what would you really like to do more of in the future not necessarily work-wise but what, what would you like to do I would like to be more of a you know proper hope I've always had that home bird instinct I have always been somebody who loves being at home being with my family uh, so and, and not really ever having the time to pro properly commit to I me mean, I even had to go when Beth was born I was back at work within four months mainly because I we we needed the money and you didn't get the maternity benefits you know in 1997 that you you have now so I've always felt, I've always been rushing around, never quite enough time for anything or anybody. So that's what I'm trying to get that balance right, really. Um, so yes, work is lovely and I'm enjoying all the different new opportunities that are coming along. And yes, I still want to carry on very much, want to carry on working. But I do want to get more of a balance in my life and, and actually cook big family meals and 
you know, do nice things and get into growing a herb garden. I know it all sounds really silly, but I've never done them ever. And I think I've always been a bit of an old lady in my mind. I've always wanted to be that kind of person. But, um, you know, I, I, I was always, I'd go out with my friends clubbing, but I was always the one that was thinking, oh, I wish I was at home, you know, with reading my book. <laughs> but I, I did all that. And I've always, I feel like I've got to kind of a point in my life where I can do all that. And I've actually got that time. So that's my next thing is to kind of nurture that that side of my of my life. Yeah. And maybe work will become less and less important as, the, as time goes on. But at the moment, I keep the, I say yes to everything. And that philosophy I have where, you know, I said yes to the shifts, um, always give more than is expected. I, I'm still at that phase where I, I don't want to say no to things. I want to say yes to everything and just see what's around the corner. So I'm, I'm trying to get the balance of the both together, really. So that's the that's the plan. Oh, it sounds like you're doing an amazing job. And if all if you do really miss it, you could always go back to your airing cupboard and start yes! where, it all, where it all began. I'm sure Beth would take part and get you. Would, she'd love it. It'd be right up her street. Yeah, she'd Duncan. be a much more willing participant than my sister was. Ah, to get Duncan there. He'll enjoy it, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, no, Duncan's too bossy. He'd want to be the editor and I'd want to be the editor. So. <laughs> he wouldn't sit in the airing cupboard. Um, so for your acknowledgements, Christine, who would you like to thank who are the people who have helped you along the way? Oh, um, well, Dad, Dad definitely got me. I, I very much credit my dad with, with making me brave enough, I think, to not follow what the norm and and to always keep trying harder and get out of my comfort zone because I definitely did have that fear of change gene that is very much part of the female members of our family and dad was always very much behind me stepping out of that so dad definitely my mum's been great as well although even though she wanted me to be a teacher for the holidays but she's yeah. uh, teachers everyone will be going mad saying we don't have holidays we work all the way through and I know they do I know they do work hard but um um, all the people I've worked with over the years have been, and Claire Morrow, who was my boss, um, one of my first bosses, female editor of Calendar, she took over from Ali Rashid. Ali for giving me that opportunity under the maddest of circumstances. And um, all all the people, really, I, all my colleagues, I just can't think of anything. Duncan, Duncan has taught me a great deal, particularly he was um, obviously one of his strengths was live presenting. Cause that's what he did as a Northern correspondent when he worked with you at GMTV. And he taught me a heck of a lot about that because I was always very studio based and the kind of walking around and showing and telling kind of style of presenting he's incredibly good at. And, uh, and he's also been a great friend and a great support to me over the years. But and all my girlfriends who held me up, I'm saying everybody, I'm like an Oscar speech. My daughter and my husband, who just put up with me and put up with my, you know, everything I've done over the years, but particularly this last two years, have sort of seen me through that rocky time in my life. But So I think I'd like to thank everybody I know. Is that enough people? I think I've gone through everyone, but I, honestly couldn't, I, couldn't, I don't think I could do any of it without any of those people. Every single person yeah. has just been fantastic. So, yeah. And I have this daily WhatsApp group with a group of friends that just makes me laugh all day. And we're back and forth about the most inane things and stupid things. But that's so important to me as well. I think laughing matters, just keeping upbeat. And I'm, I'm a positive person and uh, I always have had that knack, luckily, to be able to see the bright side of things and that there's always going to be light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, I, I've never yet, even even in the depths of having cancer, which... 
I used to think it was like, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm at the bottom of a dark well and everyone's lives are going around like normal at the top. But I always know, I think I've always had this focus on everything is going to be okay. Mm. And uh, that's what I try and do in everything I do. And, and all the people around me help me. Mm. And do you think that's a choice, Christine? Do you think you, someone can choose to be like that? I think I think I'm just it's a personality trait with me. I think I'm lucky that I can because I know not everyone can know. And you know, and even I now have been through dark periods in my life where you know I've not found it easy to even get out of bed in the morning when I when I was poorly and and that bit of period when I left calendar and I was thinking had I done the right thing, but I. I think my general nature is to be quite upbeat and if I can, that's another thing, I try and be that online and, and, and with all the people around me because I think that, I think positive things happen to positive people and being around positive people helps you be positive so mm. it's very much an ethos in my life. I try to be as upbeat as I can, not, re not stupidly where I'm, you know, not empathetic or understanding or not not being there when people really really don't want you to be upbeat i'm not i think i think i'm just trying to be there and be a, a light if i can be a positive force for everyone around me then that's great and if i and i have a lot of people around me that are like that and i think we all feed off each other so but i think i think probably with me it's it's i'm lucky that i generally am like that my mum's like that too she's the same so it helps. <laughs> How lovely. And then to bring it into the world of television, I mean, just amazing. Just well, I, don't, I, I sound like I'm like, oh, I'm this happy, positive person. What? It's not always like that, I'll tell you. As my husband. Ah, <laughs> we'll ask him. Listen, we'll tell you. Yeah, I know a lot of people in TV and not everyone's like you, Christine. Not everyone is. But what does your, <laughs> just ask what your husband does? He doesn't work in media at all. Yeah, my husband is, um, uh, he, he was a detective. He, he's, he, he's, he's quite, did a lot of big cases in the West wow. Yorkshire region. He ran the HMET, um, he was head of West Yorkshire Crime, and then he went on to build a company um, with a lady called Angela Gallup, who you might have actually just on, she's on TV at the moment. They've got a company um, background and they're doing some work together now. She's a forensic scientist who, this last few weeks, has been a program about all her cases called Cold Case Forensics on ITV. And Chris and Angela forged a company, built a company together doing um, security and uh, not, not so much security, but things like upgrading legal and police work in countries all around the world, places like Somalia. And so they did that for 10 years and sold the company last year. Yeah. So he's writing at the moment. He's writing with Angela Gallup a book and doing some TV work as well. So he's involved in TV, but in a different way, the, yeah. in the crime side of things, wow. <laughs> but as a policeman. <laughs> he wasn't one of those PCs when you had to go and knock on the um, police station door to get a story. It wasn't. He him, wasn't. Was no, he wasn't. But pretty much that's how I met him. It was doing covering one of his stories is how I met him. Yeah. I've had to put that in one of my books, Christine. That's lo lovely. So, <laughs> yeah. Lovely oh, I'm such an admirer of you. I think you're, oh. you know, when I've read about you and what you're doing, I think it's incredible. You know, you're writing, you're, you're doing the blogging, the vlog, and you're a mum. And you've got, I know how busy your job is. Oh. I think it's amazing wow. that you're, you're also stepping out of your comfort zone and doing amazing things with it. Well, thank you, Christine. Thank, thank you. And um, and actually, funnily enough, Rob is all involved. My husband is with the crime. So we, we, we have much to discuss that. But listen, I can't. Yes. I yes. So, Christine, listen. So if someone's listening to this, and I think it's really interesting. I mean, just 
So if someone's listening to this and they are feeling a bit like how you were feeling in that even if life, do you know what, life is good and you've got it, or you, you know, but you're feeling stuck and you feel like this, there is something not right here. And yes, you know, and, and actually, do you know what, maybe uh, I'm too old to have a next chapter. You know, I'm over 40 or no, 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 I've seen this. And now you did it. You, you and you, it wasn't like you had something lined up. You just, like you said, you jumped off the cliff. Now, if someone's thinking that, okay, it's all right for Christine, she can do it for whatever reason, for whatever reason, but I can't do it. I'm listening to this. There's absolutely no way I can do it, but really deep down they want to. What would you say to that person? I would say go for it. I would say trust your gut. That's That's been the thing with me. I think trust your instincts. Trust that feeling that, um, it, yes, it's scary. And yes, the ship is safest in the harbour. But if it, you, I always think what's wor what would be worse would be not to have tried and given something a go. And, you know, you, life is short. And before you know it, you know, you're at a point where you can't give something a go and you don't want to look back and think why didn't I do it when I when I wanted to and that's I would just say never try not to live with that regret um, just just do it is what I would say um, yeah. and it's not I'm not easy I understand that and I know that yeah in my case you know nice things have come away because of what I did before and that's not always the case for everyone you're not going to always be able to transfer your job into another area but I think if you you if your heart if you're in, you don't want to be um, spending your life living with the glass half full when you know it could be full and I would just I would just give it a go and and see how it works out I would say to anybody do it mm. and obviously again you've seen people and you've seen you've interviewed people and seen how life can change so when you're in a situation where there is a possibility you can do something else is the time to do it isn't it not wait for that moment because you just don't ever know what's around the corner well i, I mean i spent years thinking yeah you know, it wasn't a decision i came to overnight i i I'd for two years really i'd had it on my mind that i can't i've got to make a change in my life and um you know so i think if, if you've had that feeling inside where you just know something is not quite as you want it to be and I, I i just say to anyone don't 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 wait too long make that make that leap jump off that cliff hold your nose and jump in <laughs> and hopefully you won't hit a rock <laughs> Let's hope, not. Let's hope not, but I'm sure you won't. But look, Christine Talbot, I mean, I'm so pleased you did choose to go into journalism and our paths have crossed. I will come and work out that airing cupboard with you anytime. You oh, thank you. It's been you've, been so you've been such an asset. I would love you to do that. And That's make, so nice. It's been so lovely talking to you. Uh, and I'd make sure I had my welly boots in the in the boot of my car. I promise you, I'd be very professional. But Christine, <laughs> From now on, never go out without your wellies. <laughs> thank and you. Christine said, uh, thank you so much for being such an amazing guest on the next chapter. Oh, thank you, Ellie. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you. So there you are. What did you think of that? I told you she was good. I mean, what a way to end the series. And also, what about Beth's book? There's a whole next chapter there. Well, not only did it remind me to put my welly boots in the car, but I mean, that conversation taught so much. But what about that, though? The comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there. I'm going to remember that. And Christine is doing truly amazing things now. Since our conversation, she's also been involved with Find Your Midlife Magic. I mean, just brilliant. And I can't wait to see her and Duncan back together again. 
You can find out all about Christine at christinetalbot.com and I really recommend you have a look at her leaving film. It's just brilliant. And of course, you can keep in touch with me and my books at elliebarkerwrites.com. I'd so love it if you did. And even better, if you sign up to my mailing list, well, I can send you some little notes and we can talk all things books and next chapters. So this is the last in this series and what a way to end. I'll say it again. Thank you to all my brilliant guests. And most of all, though, thank you to you for spending your time here with us. I hope it's got you pondering or at least you've just enjoyed meeting these inspiring women. I'll be back very soon with series nine. But in the meantime, you're listening to the next chapter by Ellie Barker, a flower pot production. By the way, if you could rate and review this episode and even better subscribe to the podcast, that would be wonderful. Anyway, that's it for now. Don't forget, nothing grows in the comfort zone. You can do this. I think you can. And Christine does too. Speak soon. <laughs>